Uh, well, g'day, my name's Jono, and we're going to look at that part of the Bible together, uh, particularly Genesis chapter 12 that we read at the start there. Uh, but last night, big country night, was a really good night. Uh, a bunch of you were there, I know. Uh, shout out to the army of people who helped make it happen as well. It was a, it was a fantastic time. Uh, but I've got to say, one thing in particular happened last night that blew my mind. I was sitting around a fire with a crew of people, I think they might have been year 12s, uh, we all had a can of drink with dinner as we were sitting there, uh, and then Grace Garden changed my life. She did something extraordinary. Now, did you know that the bottom of a can is meant to do this when you want to open another can? Who, who knew what the bottom of the ring of a can was for? Put your hand up if you did. Yeah, check this out. What? <laughs> what on earth? Now, I don't actually need Pepsi, so that's going to stay there, but (laughs) I've been drinking cans of soft drink for the entirety of my adult life, and I never. What on earth? (laughs) Who knew that was what the bottom of a can was for? Now, here's the thing, right? There's a link. Here's the thing. Tonight's passage... Tonight's passage is a little bit like that sneaky ring on the bottom of a can. It could be that you've been a Christian for a long time uh, and you probably had some sense that Genesis 12 was always there, you probably knew something about what it might have said, but it's possible you never understood why Genesis 12 was really there. Because if tonight we can get our heads around this part of the Bible there in Genesis chapter 12, uh, what we're actually going to be doing is getting our heads around the whole Bible. Genesis 12 is like this key that opens up the rest of the Bible from beginning to end for us. And so, if you're new with us here tonight, I know a bunch of you will be, good news, you've joined us on a very good night because, uh, you know, you might be two weeks into coming along to church but you can go home and at the end say, I know what the whole Bible is about now, which will be a good brag, you can do that at work if you want to, huge power move, I know what the whole Bible's about. Uh, It's an amazing thing we're going to see as we unpack this part of the Bible and see how it unlocks the rest of the Bible for us. So, thing number one, we are going to get a chance to catch the whole story of the Bible tonight together as we look at this passage. But secondly, as we do all of that, another thing's going to happen for us. We're going to see some of the reasons, at least one of the reasons, why many Christians say that the Bible is trustworthy, that you can actually trust that this is God's Word to us. We're going to see that as well as we unpack Genesis 12. It's an incredible passage. It's going to give us great confidence in the things that God says to us in His Word and we're going to get a chance to see what the whole Bible says along the way. Huge. Now, I believe there is a real God who is there, who wants us to know Him and come to Him and so I'm actually going to now pray. So, if you want to join me in that, I'd love to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank You so much uh, for who You are. We thank You, Lord, that You have not left us in the darkness as to what You are like and even the way to come to You. And so, I pray that tonight You would open our eyes to see what You have to say to us across the entire scope of the Bible. I pray You'd open our eyes to understand Your Word and I pray that You'd do a great work in us. Uh, For those of us who already know and love and trust Jesus, I pray that you'd cause us to love Him all the more. And for those of us tonight who are still wrestling with the things of Christ, I pray that you might reveal yourself to them as well. Open our eyes to see Jesus clearly in your Word, we pray. Amen. Now, 
The first thing we need to do tonight as we come at this passage is we do need to put it all in context. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me remind you of where we've been. Here's the summary. The world is in a downward spiral. Now, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 3, we saw the fall of humanity. Sin entered our world, like, like a crack in a windshield that hits at one point and then kind of the streaks of the crack go all over the place and shatter the glass everywhere from that one chip. So, sin has spread across the world. Uh, and then straight after the fall in chapter 3, the very next event that happens is, chapter 4, verse 8, the first murder. Cain he murders his brother Abel and after that things actually spiral worse and worse out of control. Toward the end of chapter 4, uh, you see a descendant of Cain a, Cain, a guy called Lamech and he's bragging about his vengeance and his justice, not his, not his justice but his vengeance and his violence that he'll bring against anyone who crosses him and then in chapter 5, there's this list of genealogies, all the people from Adam all the way through to Noah and the account of their lives, the history of those families but the thing that's meant to stick out in chapter 5 is this, such and such lived for this long and then he died, (laughs) such and such lived for this long and then he died, they died, they died. Death is not normal, it's not meant to be, it's not natural, it's not how things should be, it's foreign, which is why when you go to a funeral and you grieve the loss of someone that you love, you have to come to terms with this weird thing that a person that was there is now gone. It's this intrusion on the normality of what life should be. And so, sin and death have seeped into the very fabric of our world. Now, in fact, things go from bad to worse to worse again and you get this summary in chapter 6, verse 5. Now, we're going all over the Bible tonight. If you've got a Bible with you, follow along and if you don't, some of the key verses will be up on the screen. But here's the summary, chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the, th- of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Things have gotten bad, so bad in fact, that God actually brings judgment on the world and wipes the human race from the face of the earth except for one man, a guy called Noah and his family who are spared, which is what we saw last week. Now, at this point, you think, okay, maybe fresh start, things are going to be pretty good. God promises never again will I destroy the world with a flood. Humanity is given a fresh start. Maybe it's going to be all good. Pretty quickly, no. Uh, first thing at, um, Noah does when he gets off the ark is get drunk. Uh, two chapters later, guess what we do? Chapter 11, Tower of Babel, the height of human sin. There's a pun in there. Humanity bands together. And they shake their fists at God and they say, we don't need you, God, we're going to be God, we're going to build this tower to be like you. So, there's where we've been, there's the context up to this point here in chapter 12. Now, what does all this mean for us tonight as we come here to chapter 12? Well, here's the thing you have to get. Their problem is our problem. Their disease is our disease. We really are sinners. Now, I recognise that uh, to a bunch of people, some of whom may not have much to do with church at all, that's a confronting thing to be told, it's a confronting thing to hear. It is what the Bible shows us and I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's actually what the world around us demonstrates every single day of the week as well. We are sinful in our thoughts, in our actions, in our motives, 
Uh, just like the people in Genesis 1 to Genesis 3 to 11, we stumbled into sin as individuals. Friends, this is the sobering reality of our world. <laughs> this is our sobering reality. Now, let me just say, you will never make sense of what the Bible teaches if you don't understand sin. It just won't make sense to you. You won't understand Jesus unless you understand sin. And I want to argue, in fact, you won't even understand the world as it unfolds before you and life unfolds unless you understand sin. It won't make any sense. Sin is real. It's my problem. It's your problem. But there is a good God who cares deeply about it, He will call us to account for it, He cares deeply about it and we actually need to be rescued from sin. But here's where we are tonight, here's the second thing that you need to see tonight and this is the best news in the world, this is where we're going for the rest of tonight, here it is, God promises to reverse it all through a sinful nobody, a guy called Abraham. Now in tonight's passage, you'll notice the reading actually calls him Abram, that's because he gets a a rebrand in a couple chapters' time. Uh, But for lots of Christians, we we think of Abraham as this man, the model man of faith, one of the good guys. It'd be easy to assume that he was the kind of guy who kind of deserved to be in God's good books. Abraham, he's got a good rep, kids sing songs about him, all that. But you've got to catch this, Abraham was a sinful nobody. He was nobody and he was from, in fact, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, you don't need to go there, but it tells us that Abraham came from a family of idol worshippers. He probably grew up worshipping other gods other than the God of the Bible. Now, we're not going to look at this tonight, but the second half of chapter 12, after these amazing promises in chapter 12, the second half, the very next thing Abraham does after God makes these promises is he tells an enormous lie about his wife. He's afraid of the uh, Egyptian pharaoh and so he tells him that his wife is just his sister, so don't worry about it, and they end up sleeping together and this horrible chaos unfolds. It's, it's awful, just within chapter 12. Now, Abraham will get some things right, he'll respond rightly to the promises of God, trust God, but he's also a lousy sinner. That's the guy who's receiving these promises here in chapter 12. And it's to this man that these amazing promises are given here. I don't think it's possible to overstate how important these three verses here, Genesis 12, 1 to 3 are. So important for understanding the rest of the Bible. So let's have a look at it. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to a land I'll show you. You've got one job, Abram. Abram, Abraham, what do you want to say? Go. Leave your family, leave your land, go. Without knowing or seeing what's coming, go. Because I, God, have told you to. You guys remember during COVID, there was, I heard about this lots, there were people who would buy houses in another city, another state over Zoom or over FaceTime, things like that, because you're in Melbourne, you just got to get out of there, right? But imagine taking the step of moving your entire family to a new town, a new state, a new place, maybe even a new country, and doing all of that over the phone without even visiting the place. That's what people were doing during COVID, it's crazy, it'd be nice to have money to chuck around like that, wouldn't it? But still, crazy that people would do that. Well, Abraham, he's taking that here to the next level, There's no Google Maps, there's no internet, there's no Zoom. He doesn't even know where this place is yet. God's like, you need to go, I'll tell you where you're going once you're on the way, but just hit the road for now. 
He goes empty-handed. He doesn't have anything, well, except for one thing, these incredible promises from God. You can see seven promises unfold in verses 2 and 3. Have a look there, verse 2, promise number 1. I'll make you into a great nation. You're going to become the father of a whole nation. This, this old man, Abram, with his old wife who's never had a kid, you're going to be the father of a whole nation. Promise number two, he says, I'll bless you. Now, in the Old Testament, blessing meant prosperity, uh, fertility in the land and, and, and children and growing stuff and, and victory. He says, I'm going to bless you. Promise three, I'll make your name great. Everyone's going to know your name. Now, just as an aside... Here we are, three and a half thousand years later, chilling out in Erina, talking about who? Him, His name. God kept that promise. Promise four, you'll be a blessing. Through Abraham, God won't just bless him, but through him will flow blessing to others. More on that later. Three more promises. Verse three, number five, promise five, I'll bless those who bless you. Promise six, I'll curse those who curse you. Abraham's going to become the very criteria by which you'll judge whether a person is with God or against God. If you're with Abraham, then you're in with God. If you're not with Abraham, you won't be in with God, you'll be cursed. And so, that's the the way the world's going to run from now on, promises five and six. And then promise seven, this is staggering, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples. Think about the scope of that promise for a second. Through you... Every person on the earth is going to be better off. And the kind of ego trip, that, ego trip that would give a person. I reckon that's what like Elon Musk thinks to himself as he gets out of bed in the morning. He's like, I'm going to make the world a better place for every single human. Well, that's the promise of God to Abraham here. Everyone on earth is going to be better off because of you, the whole world. It's a massive promise. Now, people do throw around pretty big promises in life, don't they? Primary school was a classic for this. I remember in primary school, I'd have like, people come up to me who weren't my best friend and they'd say to me, if you give me one of those chips, I'll be your best friend. Now, they made that promise but I've got to say, I don't know where those people are anymore. None of them are my best friend. I don't know what happened there. People make all sorts of big promises in primary school. My kid Gus, uh, he, he wanted to be on the Student Representative Council uh, and so his big campaign message was, I'm going to put Coca-Cola in the bubblers. He really did promise that. Um, and, and he got on the council as well. Now, I don't think he was lying intentionally. I just think he thought he could do whatever he wanted if he got into the SRC and then got a bad surprise. But these promises from God <laughs> eclipse all that. They're colossal, but they're actually promises of substance. Promises you can trust. And as we're going to see tonight... God keeps these promises. Here's the third thing. God fulfills this promise, these promises here, throughout the whole Bible. It's the rest of the Bible. Now, what I want us to do now is I want us to follow these promises, this promise for blessing for all people through, through the whole story of the Bible. Now, we're not going to read every bit, but we're going to cover it, this thread that runs right through the whole Bible. It's amazing. So, what happens next? Well, Abraham does become the father of a nation. 
That's what the rest of Genesis is kind of about. Abraham has a son, his name is Isaac. Isaac has another son named Jacob and then Jacob has 12 sons. And if you know your Bible, the names were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin and Joseph. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. That's where that comes from. So step one, God does make a nation through this man, Abraham. It happens. And so already, by the end of the book of Genesis, he's having this incredible impact on the world. A whole nation has been born through him, but he hasn't blessed the whole world yet. He's just brought into existence this one nation. Now, that nation, Israel, the Jews, they go into exile in Egypt. And I'm going to skip a whole book of the Bible here, but things generally go bad and then they go pretty good for a while. But here's the next big step. Blessing comes to the people of God through His law, through the law given by God. Now, come with me to this one. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and see this here, the blessing that comes to the people of God through the law. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. God has given His law through Moses and now God is speaking them to them, telling them what to do with the law. Come to Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. I don't think it's going to be up on the screen, so just listen in if you don't have it. Here's what God says about the law. He says, see, I set, today, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him and to keep His commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to possess. So here's the land that they're going to get, the, the promised land. Skip down to verse 19. God says, Now choose life so that your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to His voice and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life, and He'll give you many years in the land He swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So it's it's now talking about the law, but it's referring back to the promises originally given to Abraham. And so he's saying, blessing will come to you, Israel, people of God, through the law. It's going to come if, if, a big if, if you obey my commands, then the blessing will come. Now, the promise back in Genesis 12, remember, that was a one-way promise. It was a unilateral promise. There was no if, God just said, I'm going to do it. Here's the promise, one way. But this promise here, well, there's a part of the bargain that Israel needs to hold up as well. If you obey, then it's going to go good for you. This is the kind of thing I used to do in EV Youth. For years, I used to run our youth group here at EV Youth. um, And this is what I'd say to the naughty kids in EV Youth. I wouldn't give them the law of God, but I'd say, Billy, you have a real choice to make. You can put down the crossbow and apologise to your friend um, or you're going to get in a lot of trouble. But if you put it down, come with me, we'll go eat dessert, we're going to have a great time. You give them a choice and hope they chose the right thing. God's saying, you have a choice, Israel. Come follow me and get blessing, choose life. But only if you come and obey. Now, the question that kind of runs after that through the Bible is this, what did Israel choose? What do they do with this law, the commands of God? Are they going to get this blessing that God promised would be theirs? Because now it depends a little bit on what they do. Well, for a little bit they did. Step three, blessing does come through David and King Solomon. Step three, 
Blessing comes for a little while. They move into the land under King David. It's a good time. That there's this amazing time of blessing for the people of God. And after David comes his son Solomon, and he brings this incredible prosperity to this people of Israel. It, it, it's, he builds a temple. It's incredible. Um, things go really, really good for a while under Solomon. Now, this is a strange little part of the Bible that I doubt many of us would have read, but come to 1 Kings chapter 10... And what we're going to see here is the way this blessing now spreads not just from Israel, but it starts to go out to the nations. Come to 1 Kings chapter 10 with me. You're going to hear about the Queen of Sheba. Who knew that was coming tonight, right? 1 Kings chapter 10. Remember, the theme we're following here is the blessing promised to Abraham that's going to go to the whole world. And now here under Solomon, Israel's having a good time, but not just Israel... The nations around them are now going to see this blessing. Look at verse 1. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to Solomon to test him with hard questions. Verses 2 and 3 gives him a quiz, gives out some goodies. Verse 4. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace that he'd built and the the food on his table and the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings, he made the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. She sees what's going on for Solomon and Israel and it amazes her. Look down at verse 8. She says this, she says, How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Solomon had great wisdom from God. She says, Praise to the Lord, your God, who's delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. You see what's going on there? This foreign queen from another nation... She's now been blessed through the people of God, through the promises to Abraham, because she's now turning to God and praising Him. She's seen who God really is. And then down in verse 13, she becomes physically blessed through Solomon and his riches. But in fact, it's not just her. This blessing is now flowing out to all the other nations. Look at verse 23, chapter 10. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And so, here we are, at this point in Israel's history, I reckon the people of God are going, I think we've arrived, I think we've done it. The blessings come to us, it's come to Abraham, it's come to us, and now it's, it's going to the whole world as well. And so they're wondering, is this it? This is the fulfilment of all the promises. Now, I think this is partially the fulfilment of all those promises. Uh, but soon you're going to see that it falls way short as well. Very quickly, the very next chapter, in fact, you can see it there in chapter 11 Solomon's wives, he messes up and it goes real bad. Uh, chapter 11, verse 6 So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely, as David his father had done. And after that, you know what happens? King after king after king, ruler after ruler, leads the people of God astray. Time and time again, they walk away from God. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to make an enormous generalisation about the whole... the whole middle bit of your Bible, right? Uh, But in really general terms, you could summarise the whole middle bit, that all the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on, you could summarise it like this, through these prophets, God says, come back, come back my people, come back and they 
repent a little bit sometimes, but generally they continue in their sin and so God judges them for their sin and then they might repent for a little bit, come back to God and then and then very quickly they, they run away from God again and God's like, come back, come back, sends another prophet, they probably kill that one, sends another prophet. The prophets are like this alarm clock going off every morning, wake up Israel, wake up to yourselves, come back to God, come back to me and largely they don't listen, they ignore them and they walk away from God. Now eventually, the, the last half of the Old Testament, it ends in a pretty dark place. Uh, half of Israel are wiped out by the Assyrian nation and the other half they go into exile in a place called Babylon. This people of God who were meant to be blessed beautiful land and riches and all that, they'll never be the same. And so, through that part of the Bible, through the darkest parts of the Bible, you're left wondering, where's this blessing to Abraham? Is God going to keep His promise? But then in the background, (laughs) there's this thread of hope, through the darkest parts of the Bible, there's this amazing thread of hope, it runs right through, there is one coming, there's one coming who will bring this blessing. He's a king, he's a greater king than anything you've ever seen, a greater king than David, Solomon. He will bring this blessing that was promised to Abram. And finally, here's the last bit of it, here's the end of it all, Jesus turns up. And Jesus fully fulfills the promises that were made to Abraham. Now, Jesus came, he died, he rose again, but come over to the end of Luke's Gospel with me. Come to Luke chapter 24. I'm sorry for all the jumping around, but it's going to be worth it, I promise. Look at Luke chapter 24. And I want you to see an incredible claim that Jesus here makes about himself. So, we've seen this story running through the whole Old Testament, this blessing that we're waiting for. We've kind of in really, really short terms, we've covered the story of the Old Testament, but look at what Jesus claims about Himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me, says Jesus, in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Now, Moses, prophets and Psalms, that's just shorthand for the Old Testament. Do you hear what's been said there? Do you hear the claim? Jesus is saying that everything needs to be fulfilled that was written about me in the whole Old Testament, the whole of their Bible at this point. Jesus is saying that whole Bible that you guys, you know the thing, the Bible that you guys love, the Scriptures, it's all about me. It's all been about me. A few weeks ago, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we saw the promise of one who would come who would crush the head of the serpent. That, from the very beginning, was a promise about Jesus. And in chapter 12, tonight, when God promises to bless the whole world through Abraham, Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills that promise. The whole Bible, all of it, is ultimately about Jesus. From beginning to end, this is His story, it's all about Him. There's some big implications of all this. First of all, friends, this is how you read the Bible. In one sense, all that we've seen tonight is a giant lesson on how to read the Bible really well. Whatever part of the Bible you're in, whatever page, you know, Leviticus, Genesis, Psalms, Revelation at the very end, from beginning to end, you want to read the Bible wherever you are and have this question in your mind, what does this teach me about Jesus? 
How does it point to him? Because it's all about him. Every, he's on every page. You may not see his name written down, Jesus, on every page, but it's all about him. It's all pointing to him. It might be about him because you see your need for him. You read the law and Leviticus and all that and you go, man, we need a saviour because we can't keep all these rules. Or it might be that you see a shadow of Jesus. You, you see a glimpse of the goodness of Jesus in one of the people. In the, or, or instead, you might see a contrast to Jesus the failed king who's contrasting to the king who is Jesus, who's the best one. All the Bible points to Jesus. That's how you read the Bible. What does this part tell me about Jesus? Secondly, this is one piece of why I reckon the Bible is trustworthy. I don't know if you caught it as you went through, but did you catch the incredible diversity of the Bible as we whizzed through its story just then? Because on the one hand, you guys have got to catch this, there's 66 books in this Bible in front of you, written by roughly 40 different authors over 1,500 years, no one could have planned this, no one could have got together and schemed and went, let's trick the world and invent a God and you can't do that. The diversity of the Bible spanning history is incredible, enmeshed in history, it's amazing, but as well as the diversity of the Bible, did you see the unity of the Bible. It's all just one story, a story that starts thousands of years before Jesus and finds its fulfillment bit by bit until it comes to the person Jesus hundreds of years later. You can't make this stuff up. It's one story enmeshed in human history as it unfolds over the decades. Now, we didn't cover this tonight, but you, if you haven't, you should go and check out some of, the thing, some of the things the prophets say. Places like Isaiah, who 700 years before Jesus turns up, makes these incredible promises that are so specific about who this man Jesus would be and what he would do. It's uncanny. It's amazing. The incredible diversity of the Bible, spanning history, paired with the unity of the Bible. It's one story all about this, this man Jesus... That's one of the reasons why I reckon the Bible is so compelling, it's trustworthy, it's true. It can't just be the result of some people getting together to make up a story and trick some people. If someone did that, well, they managed to do that over millennia of human history and managed to pull the strings of history such that it would all come together the way it did. If you find the person who's responsible for doing that, you probably should worship them because it's God who can do that. And third, here's a big implication of all this. God keeps His promises. From beginning to end, God is, a, is the one who makes promises and then shows Himself trustworthy as He keeps those promises. Now, if you want to find a good coffee, what do you do? Starters leave the Central Coast, but after that, you go to Sydney or somewhere, you go on Google reviews, right? You're looking for a good coffee. What do you look for on Google reviews? Two things. Number one, how many reviews are there? Number two, are the reviews good? So, if you find a cafe with 6,000 reviews and they're all five-star, what does that suggest about the coffee you're going to get? Well, they've proven themselves in the past consistently to be trustworthy and so it probably means you're going to get a really, really good coffee. Now, what can you expect from God in the future in regard to His promises? He will keep them. Why? 
Because 100% of the time up to this point throughout all of history, he's been making promises and keeping them time and time again. If God had a Google review rating, which he doesn't, it would be 100% for all of human history. He has demonstrated himself to be faithful, he makes promises and he keeps them. Hasn't had a single failure yet and his promises are so, so good. They're amazing. Which means to you, Christian, or if you want to become a Christian, it means this, when God says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you, He's going to finish it, He's going to carry it on to completion. When God says that, when He promises you that in His Word, He will. He'll do that. It means that when God says, Romans 8, verse 28, All things work together for the good of those who love Him even the really hard parts of life, work together for your good, well, God promised it. They will. When God says, John chapter 5, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. This is Jesus saying, you have eternal life and you will not be judged, but you have crossed over from death to life. You have it now if your trust is in Jesus. Jesus says, if your trust is in Him, eternal life is already yours, it's already begun. If you come to Him tonight, if you become a Christian, then you can know for sure that's the case for you as well. Eternal life is yours, 100% certainty. Now, here's the last thing I want us to finish with tonight and it's in Galatians chapter 3, the second reading we had and it's this, how... How do you make this promise of blessing yours? How do you personally grab hold of this promise from God that blessing is yours? What do you do? How do you grab hold of it? Galatians chapter 3. Here's the last crucial thing we need to see tonight. You receive God's promises by faith. Have a look there, chapter 3 verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are the children, are children of Abraham. This is really interesting. Look at verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, everyone else, by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quoting chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 2, all nations will be blessed through you. Now, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see what's been said there? It's amazing. What makes you a child of Abraham? What makes you a child of God, in fact? Faith. Faith is the key. Now, Abraham had faith when he heard the promises of God. God said, go, and he trusted God, and so he went. Now, what's faith? It it is It is just what I said. It's simple trust in God. It's just taking God at His word. Faith, trust, same thing. Now, I don't know if you guys have been abseiling, I'm not even sure if anyone's gone abseiling these days, I know a bunch of you guys go rock climbing, do you abseil to get back down or do you just jump down? I don't know what you do but anyway, with abseiling, right, you're wearing your harness and the strange thing with abseiling is the more you trust your harness, the better it's going to go for you, the more you trust yourself, the worse it's going to go. With abseiling, you need to lean back into your harness and your feet go up on the wall and you do your thing, right? But if you don't trust your harness and instead you're kind of holding on to your rope and trying to support yourself, 
it ends really badly because you end up swinging into the wall and you get dragged around. It's, it's horrible, but ironically, the more you stop trusting yourself to keep yourself there and lean back in your harness, the better it goes for you. Well, faith in God means stopping trusting yourself Stopping saying, I'm going to hold on to the rope and hold myself up and do it myself. Stop relying on yourself and instead trust in God that He has got you. Instead of trusting yourself, you put your trust in Jesus. That's what faith is. Stop trusting yourself, start trusting Jesus. It's not being a good person, just to be clear. It's not about being a really, really good person and God's like, sweet, you're in, I'll have you. No, no. Abraham came from a family of idol worshippers he received the promises of God and had faith, he trusted and even after that he made some pretty big mess-ups along the way, he didn't have perfect obedience, he trusted God for the blessing that he promised and it's exactly the same for us here in the New Testament. If we want to join God's family, a child of Abraham, you do it by faith. Amazing. Now, have you done that? Have you personally put your faith in Jesus? Or are you still kind of holding on to the rope going, I've got this, I'm going to do this myself? Or are you relying on God to be the one who saves you in spite of your sin? Have you done that? Now, if you want to do that even tonight, you can. You can put your trust in God tonight. It's a matter of going, well, I'm not going to depend on myself, I'm now going to trust God to save me. Make that decision in your own heart tonight, you can put your trust in God. You could quietly find a space and pray to God and make that decision for the first time tonight. If you want to, you could come and find myself and I'd love to to walk you through that and pray with you. Put your trust in God, in Jesus who saves us. Now, if you're not ready to do that, which I take it, some of you won't be, a a few things you could do to take as a next step. First one is this, it's pretty simple, come back next week. If you're new with us tonight and you've had a good time, I'd love to invite you to come back next week and continue to wrestle with the things of God in the Bible. Look next, next bit of Genesis together. Second, I'd love to invite you to come and join us for a series we run called Life. Uh, we'll be running one of them in Term 4, specifically for this crew here at EV Night. And it's a great place to come with your questions and your objections and your thoughts and, and hear what the Bible says about Jesus. Come join us for life in a term's time. And thirdly, I'd love to invite you to just have a read of the Bible yourself. Grab a hold of the Bible, these welcome packs that we'd love to give you, they've got a New Testament part of the Bible in them, Uh, but grab one. Don't start at the beginning of Genesis, start at somewhere like Mark, which is an account of Jesus's life, and just read the Bible, meet this person, Jesus, who claims to be the very centre of history, the one the whole Bible's about, have a read for yourself, and when you're ready, put your trust in Him. I'm going to take a moment to let you reflect on the things we've seen tonight. The band's going to come up and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's do that. Take a moment to reflect. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the amazing way you have revealed yourself to us throughout all history, all time. You are the God who is eternal, who's always been there. 
And we thank you that you reveal yourself to us so amazingly on the pages of this book in front of us. And Father, we we thank you for your faithfulness, the goodness of your promises and your absolute steadfastness in answering them. And we thank you so much, particularly for the promise of blessing and the Saviour and thank you that we know him in Jesus. Amen.